Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host, Kyler K. Jafari. Hello. Hello. Uh, well, we are doing it right this week, sister. Wait, why did I call you sister? You're my husband. I don't want to be your mother. I don't want to be a sister either. <laughs> I just want to be a baby. <laughs> we are having an indulgence. We are having a little bit of caviar and champagne as you do. I know. I, I feel like we're supposed to do this where there's an episode where that's featured but we can't wait because this caviar is going to go bad yeah. soon. So this was a, a little treat for ourselves for our anniversary. We had it flown in from Nebraska. Is that? No, I think it's from somewhere in California. It's definitely not Beluga Petrosian. We can't afford that. I prefer Petrosian Beluga. Yeah, we don't have that. We have California sturgeon or <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it is. is. It's sturgeon, which qualifies in American, at least, as caviar, sort of. I mean, I'm not a big caviar lover. I definitely will eat it. I do enjoy it, but it's not this thing that I seek out that I need to have around. So I'm not a Lexus like that. Yeah, same. I mean, my entry to caviar was like having it at a buffet in Vegas. Like, that's the first time I ever had it and there they just have mounds of it inside of ice sculptures and again i don't think it's anything fancy so it's kind of salmon row yeah it's like okay you know it's fine i mean i love nice little garnish on some sushi yeah i think it's better as a garnish than just eating it by itself but let's let's have a little well first we should toast because we also have some champagne it's it's the old standard it's vove clico vove clico i mean you know the thing is, is you can't really go wrong with it. You can go to a grocery store and it's going to be there. They sell it at Target, I so think. So you can get a pretty decent bottle of champagne pretty much reliably any place you go. Mm-hmm. I don't think Viv Clicquot is the most interesting champagne, but, you know, it's, it's a little yeasty. The bubbles are pretty good. And it's got all the classic, you know, citrus, brioche, grass, the things that you want in a traditional champagne. So all right, well, cheers. I'll drink to that. Mm. Lovely. And then a little bit of caviar. I'm just going to have it by itself. I did get these 
great little wafer crackers. I know. I like these because they're not like cracker crackers, but they're not bellinis either. They're sort of in between. Mm-hmm. It's like those things that come from the waffle cone station. Yeah, they are very desserty. Oh, the ASMR fetishists are going wild right now. But the other thing that we treated ourselves to is we did order a proper... Salty surprise. Mm-hmm. We did order a proper caviar set. So we have a little bowl that you put the ice in and we're doing it right. I mean, it's the pandemic. It doesn't get any more bourgeois than this. I mean, and maybe that's what, you know, what was happening, especially with Dynasty pointing these things out. Champagne, caviar, Rolls Royces, you know, uh, glitzy evening gowns. It was also aspirational. It was like... You too can sit at home and pretend in the 80s that maybe you could be a little bit richer if you did these things in your life, you know? Right. Now, of course, it just feels silly to be sitting, you know, in the middle of a pandemic eating caviar. It's almost kind of embarrassing to admit, actually. (laughs) And it is interesting how much, since I have never watched Dynasty before and you have, they don't, they're not drinking champagne every episode. They're not eating caviar. There's only been a couple of instances, actually, we're in the home stretch of the third season, that we've seen them eat I caviar. mean, I, th- I think they're going to dial it up a little bit more, but it seems to be mostly Alexis is the prime suspect. Like, she's the one that's just... Oh, really? Cause always Cri- got some champagne on ice and caviar for lunch. Crystal, and- Crystal had herself a bowl of caviar in the library uh, many episodes ago, so I don't know. I think they all eat it. It's like alien food. Explain. <laughs> They're aliens, and this is what they eat. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay, no likey. <laughs> well, you know, I felt like an alien this week. I was just sharing with you. <laughs> I met uh, this couple who run Super Bloom World, which is this really interesting fashion brand where they're trying to give meaning to color. But anyway, I was talking, it's a it's a couple, a guy and a gal, and uh, they asked me, oh, what are you watching lately? And I think they knew about the podcast, but they didn't come out and say that. But I just thought, oh, let me be honest here in this moment. And so lately, the past few weeks, I've been really into watching like old episodes of Sally, Jesse, Raphael, Ugh, my and queen. Donahue, and just mm. these like late 80s, early 90s talk shows. Because I didn't really watch that stuff when I was growing up. Oh, you up. didn't? Oh. Not really. I mean, I was in school and it was seemed boring, you know, when I you're a I have a story kid. about that, but I'll let you finish yours. But anyway, so I... I said, yeah, I've been watching old episodes of Sally, Jesse, Raphael and and Donahue. And they looked at me like I was an alien. And then I was like, well, I need to say something so I don't like, seem so your caviar, awkward. Bitch. <laughs> and so I was like, well, you know, the reason I started to is because, uh, you know, I was watching uh, videos about witches and uh, <laughs> Joan Rivers and Sally, Jesse, Raphael had witch episodes. That, that doesn't really, really help your case. No, they looked at me like I was even more psychotic. <laughs> but I did learn. So the name of this couple is Chris and Alexis. She is named after the one, the only Alexis Carrington, because her mom was a big fan of Dynasty. So I mean, how do you live up to that name? You know, you start a brand where you're bringing meaning to color, I guess. But anyway, we might have her on the show. A real life well, Alexis. You know, Alexis did start out as an artiste, so that makes sense. Yeah, I she, like that for her. She saw her little her girl. Second life. I think it's interesting that you didn't watch any of this stuff back then. I mean, I would only watch it because I'm nostalgic and I remember this stuff. Sally Jesse and Donahue were the reason I would play hooky. My handwriting to this day. 
is learned from my mother from forging sick notes so I could stay home from school and watch Price is Right and Donahue and the Sally Jesse Raphael show. Wow, this is a revelation. We've been married for these over shows, five years. These I didn't shows even are like a warm patchwork blanket that I wrap around me when I feel cold outside. I mean, this is this is like the good stuff for me. And those theme songs come on and the, do, 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 the do. guests and the wigs do, and sunglasses. Do, do, do. Yeah, and I love it when they have the undercover I just, episodes. I just love that Donahue and Sally, they are just like such muckrakers. Like they stand there and they look all dressed up and prim and proper. Sally's got those very serious big red glasses on and her tailored suit. But it's like, oh, but it's hot drag divas or... <laughs> you know male strippers exposed right it's just like wait a minute no there's such an incongruency between the circus on stage and the supposed propriety of these hosts but they're like loving it like you could tell sally's thirsty you can just tell well i think it's interesting because they are giving a platform to sort of disenfranchised groups which is a good thing but then there is this kind of exploitative. Yeah, totally. It's totally look at me. Look at look at the freak show. And then, you you know, then you got some offshoots like Joan Rivers tried her hand at it for a bit. And she had she had a famous uh, episode on the folks from Paris is burning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, oh, you pulled one out from the depths. Uh, Rolanda. Jeez, I had forgotten that one. Yeah, she was an Oprah knockoff. Yeah, for sure. she was totally an Oprah knockoff and not just because she was a black woman. Yeah, she was just trying to be trying to be that nice girl that's just doing light light things on on a talk show during the day, but no, not not the same it's not the same level. And then oh, there was then see then you go into the baroque period, which is like Mari Povich. No, no, that Montel doesn't count. Williams. No, <sighs> Jenny Jones. Jenny Jones and Jerry Springer, yikes. Oh, yeah, I stop at Jerry. Although I do have a perverse liking for the first season of Jerry Springer when he was actually trying to be a serious talk show host. And some of those episodes still hold up, but the rest of that show's trash. These were all the reasons I learned how to forge my mother's signature, and I still write in cursive the way that she does. I think my gateway into this actually was Nolan Miller, famous Dynasty costume designer, was on an episode Mm -hmm. of Sally Jesse. Mm -hmm. So I think that's how the YouTube algorithm knew that I needed this in my life. So... All hail YouTube and the person who uploaded these old episodes. They really do have everything on YouTube. (laughs) Well, should we pour ourselves a little more champagne and put some more caviar on the mother of pearl spoons and get into this week's episode? Reunion in Singapore. I mean, if we don't, I don't know what all this is doing out on the table right now. Yeah, this is going to go bad. Today's installment of Dynasty as They Want to Be is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our darlings a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nastypodcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast to browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. You know, there's a book on there called Black Caviar. Is there any other kind? Well, yeah, I think there's like orange and yellow. But anyway, that's about a racehorse. You can find a book about everything on Audible. To listen to Black Caviar or whatever book you're interested in, simply go to audibletrial.com slash nastypodcast or you can text nastypodcast to 500-500. Well, Kyler, 
this was a great episode, kind of weirdly paced since I would there was say like good, not great. a rescue effort in it and a trip to Singapore. But what I really liked is it feels like the characters are like growing and maturing and that scene with Jeff and Fallon really coming together finally after all the back and forth about their marriage and their divorce and his pain-induced violence. It was nice for Fallon to just like say, look, let's just be friends. Let's just raise our baby and you can keep living here in the mansion. And it seemed like Jeff was into it. He was like, yeah, I'll just go back to being my normal boring self. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You're boring. Yeah, I I don't know if I buy into all this kumbaya stuff. I, I just think the writers are just writing. I, I I'm not real sure that there's a lot of aesthetic or strategic import to any of this episode. I, I think it's watchable. I think I'm not getting that free song that I was earlier in the season. Say what? A lot of these episodes are just not setting me off the way they were earlier. Um, this episode I think is a, at least a little more coherent. But as far as Jeff goes, yeah, they're turning him back into a marshmallow, which is probably fine because he's incapable of anything other than, I guess, speed demoning it to a motel in the, in the desert. The desert motel. Yeah, outs- outside of That's that. That's actually the name of it. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I'll take marshmallow Jeff over, you know, hallucinogenic hues of blue Jeff, which was just beyond his range. John James is not capable of that. I don't even know that that's necessarily his problem. I think the writers put that character in a place that just wasn't suited to the actor. At this point, I think, yeah, we can just kind of put Jeff back where he used to be on the shelf and move on. Well, I just like the fact that we're not going to, for now, have this drama between Fallon and Jeff, that Jeff has other things going on in his life besides trying to reconcile with this woman who clearly has never really wanted anything to do with him. And he's all in, as we learn at the end of the episode, (laughs) into this relationship with the nursemaid, as Adam calls her. It was alluded to last week, but... Kirby and Adam go to meet about these Asian oil leases with people who apparently only speak French, whatever. And (laughs) that requires uh, driving really far. I was kind of confused by Adam's plot to get Kirby alone at this weird desert motel because he lied to her and said the car was broken down, but it seemed like he had maybe been plotting this out the whole time. But he did get two rooms, so it's like, oh, well, I'm not going to date rape you right off the bat here. I am going to create a scenario where you feel somewhat safe, which is, I guess, pretty fucking diabolical when you think about it. And then Adam just hits that bottle of cheap Chianti and starts spilling his guts out. Does he really, though? Maybe he does it off screen, but he says that he does. He says that he but this does. this is typical psycho talk. Like, he's telling her what she's supposed to have been perceiving. And she's probably thinking, like, no, you didn't spill your guts out to me. You just, like, you talked a bit. You and spilled then you, your Chianti You pinned out. me in my chair, and now you're pinning me against the door. And the implied date rape of it all is, like, very unsettling. And also, here we go again. Like, this is, what, third time's not a charm? Like, how many times are we going to revisit this this cheap trope that they can't come up with other dramatic devices but then to have some date rape on screen again well i'm certainly not going to be defending adam but i really did like that he sees himself along the same lines as kirby that they were both born in places where they shouldn't have been obviously she wants to be upstairs and she doesn't want to be the help like her father and then he was supposed to be a 
upstairs and was given away. But I do like that Kirby points out like, well, <laughs> the woman that stole you and took you away to Montana sent you to Yale. So it was a lot of character development, I thought. I don't think so. So I liked that. I liked getting a little more backstory. Now, I didn't like that he pins her against the wall and then Jeff Colby has to come save her. I disagree. I, I think Adam's trying to introduce some like class warfare here, but I'm not taking the bait. At this point, this show... I'm taking it. I'm not really here anymore for the upstairs, downstairs of it all. That's that's all old hat at this point. That's like very season one when these characters weren't even around. Well, yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is I like that it gives these characters more dimension than just drug addict date rapers. What is the matter with you? Why can't, Why can't I what? Retire for the night happily? I can't do that, Kirby. I said everything when I've talked with you and I've poured out my heart to you. I've revealed more to you of my inner feelings than anyone else in this spinning earth of ours. Because you and I are alike and we belong together. But instead of trying to understand me, you're playing some kind of stupid game. The hard to get special. The most shocking thing about this whole episode is then Jeff comes in to save the day because, of course, Kirby called her papa and spilled the beans. I mean, none of it makes sense. But... He comes in, saves the day, which I guess is nice, but then proposes fucking marriage? What? They just banged the last episode. Yeah, Yeah. I just saved you from date rape. Let's get married. Yeah, and I just like reconciled with my ex-wife and baby mama. So now I want to go jump into another relationship. Could you imagine being proposed to at the Desert Motel? After being... (laughs) Privacy. (laughs) Privacy. Water beds. Water beds. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see the water bed. Maybe Adam didn't pay for one of those rooms. That would have been nice to see him sloshing around on a water bed. Oh, yeah, you're right. We were promised water beds. There was no water bed in this room. There wasn't really privacy either because Jeff just easily barged in. This was just like a courtyard by Marriott, like with some really bad shag carpeting and some, you know, that is one thing about. We're going to get sued by Marriott. idea of a motel even then it was like the decor is clearly from 12 years ago yeah so what a great place to order a pizza and at a date rate oh man this this show's got to learn a couple of new tricks because this stuff's getting old one thing that's interesting about this motel scenario is you know kirby's sitting in the date rate mobile with adam she wakes up he gives the the lie the excuse the gaslighting whatever you want to call it but she knows she knows this ain't a good place to be right now she knows that something's up she's got the intuition well um, hopefully she learned her lesson yeah and that's definitely someplace crystal seems to be firmly planted in that murky watery world of intuition you know she's always talking about belief and i just know that it's steven you know, as as Blake's getting ready to go to Singapore and he's like, I'm not doing this anymore and I'm not believing anything until I'm there. And she's like, no, it's going to be Steven, you know. So I, it's interesting that there's like these these like pivots with like female intuition. Uh, one gets you in trouble and one just gets you a surrogate grandchild that you're breastfeeding in the solarium. I just think Crystal is so annoying. She really thinks she's going to take that little baby to Singapore. Why? I think she's trying to do 
the things that Alexis does, which is follow Blake to Singapore. You know, Alexis doesn't ask for permission when she needs to go to Rome or Bali. She just does it. I mean, I guess Crystal didn't ask for permission when she went to Mexico to get her divorce finalized. Nice girls finish last, or they finish in the solarium with a bottle and a baby. It was very nice to see another perspective on Fallon's office at La Mirage. She got a fireplace in there. Did you know that? I think we did see that fireplace. It's not functioning, of course. Maybe we didn't. But anyway, yes, it's an adobe fireplace. It's totally on point with the southwestern decor that's already been going on in Fallon's office. And a perfect place to have a cold martini. Fireside martini. With just a, what was it, a kiss of vermouth? A whisper of vermouth. A whisper of vermouth. That's the way I like it, too. Well, at this point in the early to middle 1980s, things like a martini are sort of old-fashioned. But if you're super rich and, you know, old money or pretending to be, then martinis are still sort of a thing you might drink. But also the formula has gone from like four to one, five to one. Now it's like mostly gin and a whisper of vermouth. It's increasingly just becoming like an excuse to be an alcoholic. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm here for that. So. Yeah. And it was just nice to see Fallon and Alexis have a little moment. I know they've had a sordid past. So it was nice to see them bond over a nice cold martini in La Mirage. But of course, Mark Jennings interrupts it. And <laughs> Alexis notices right away that Fallon has a smile. And she kind of explains the situation. They're just friends. They ain't fucking. But Alexis has got a great poker face because I don't think Fallon has any idea that her mom was having afternoon delight in her hotel for several episodes with the tennis pro. Sweet. I don't think there's anything particularly sweet about you having a, a thing with a tennis pro. Well, Mother, you may not believe this, but I didn't have a thing with him. I mean, unless having a nice time talking with a nice guy is a thing in your book. Well, when I do write my book, Fallon, I'll make sure to give that a extra special chapter. I think a lot of the work this episode is doing is resituating Fallon and Jeff. Uh, such that Jeff and Kirby are, you know, being set up to do whatever that relationship is going to be. And, you know, Fallon and Mark have been happening, even though Fallon sits here and tells Alexis that mm, it's not happening. So I don't, I don't know. That, that may or may not be a long-term situation, but at least for right now, that's the scenario. And then there's sort of the weird thing bubbling under all of this. Alexis and Fallon have been, like, sharing the same stud in the stable, which is a little strange. I know. That's one thing I really don't like about this show it makes me think back to the last season with dr tortellini like how fallon was fucking him and crystal and now we've got mark i mean i know that fallon and mark are just kind of smoochy well don't forget this all started with the chauffeur who fucked the chauffeur besides fallon i'm not saying that but i mean like fallon's been she's got a retinue of stable boys well i know she used to fuck the football team owned by her daddy well you know you're right that's actually the uh the archetype the the origin story i just want fallon to have her own thing that doesn't have anything to do with her mommy or her stepmommy but girl got daddy issues so what do you expect Speaking of daddies, Congressman Neil McVeigh is back. Was anybody wanting this character to return? I wasn't. When he drove up on the tarmac, I was like, can he get pulled into a turbine engine and splattered into a million pieces? Or, or just put him on the luggage carousel. Let him spin around for a while. I guess because he's a politician, he's supposed to be annoying. But I hate this fact that he holds this power over Alexis because they used to hook up. And then Blake apparently like 
knows some dirt on him. Hey, they're just really doing a poor job of selling this like rich people and politicians in bed together, sometimes literally. This is the same problem when this show tries to do business when it does politics. It's the same. It just gets hokey. And Alexis goes back to her old standby, Mr. Hess, the private investigator, to try to dig up some filth on Congressman Neil McVeigh. I guess he's going to be the barrier to this hostile takeover that her and Adam are planning. Oh, that's more than I got out of that. I have to say, the way that Alexis explained to Jeff why him giving up Little Blake's shares to the Empire... Oh, this was total gaslighting. Loved it. It was so good. She's such a good salesperson. And I hadn't really thought of it like i felt like i was in jeff's shoes and listening to her i'm like oh okay this makes sense yeah and he's not even sniffing any poisonous pain anymore it didn't hurt that adam was in the background you know re-upping everything she had to say to jeff you know so i don't think jeff gives once a, you hear from multiple voices fucks about what adam has to say but alexis did make a pretty good point i guess he's not going to be fighting it so <laughs> This hostile takeover might actually happen. Jeff is a neutered marshmallow boy. I mean, he's just 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 here for the Alberto VO5 hot oil treatment. Well, he just wants to be loved. So since he's getting dicked down by the nursemaid, I guess he's fine with giving up all of his power of his uh, his family's empire. I, know, I keep going back to a moment where, you know, speaking of Crystal and her intuition and, you know, she doesn't do much, but she seems to sense things and understand things. You know, Jeff... Jeff in the nursery, you know, and he's another one. Crystal and Jeff are both just like wallpaper. But, you know, Jeff says to her, when wise ladies talk, you listen, you know, like telling her that, you know, it's like there is something about Crystal. Like she seems to get what's going on, even though she's totally not participating in anything, Uh, which maybe is why Blake likes having her around. She's not going to stir up any trouble or like try to make any decisions. I mean, I think she's not about the drama. So good for her, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's all it is. Alexis loves the drama, so I guess they're perfectly pitted against each other in that sense. Now, this episode is the first time that Jack Coleman is in the opening credits as well. Interesting choice that they basically just have him mimic exactly what Al Corley did. This is another little bit of retro continuity. So much gaslighting. Let's have... Jack Holman pretend to be Al Corley and um, nobody will notice. I mean, of course we all notice, but... I mean, it's nice to have that gushing oil Derek back, but I would have liked him to try to do something different. I don't know. Well, again, they're trying to sell you on, like, you know, the character's back and... Nothing's changed, but we all know everything's changed. Yeah, now Steven is a whole foot taller. I thought he was a foot shorter. No, Jack Holman is a big boy. I saw him at Larchmont Village once. Oh, okay. Well, good for Jack Coleman. Now, of course, the name of this episode is Reunion in Singapore because the Carringtons have finally heard that Stephen is probably maybe sort Uh, of alive. I can't have one more night in Singapore. (laughs) I know. It's so funny watching these episodes because you said like a few episodes ago, I think this is the last one where we're in Singapore. So that was an excuse. I think it was just wishing it was the last... I think you were just using it as an excuse to make a Singapore sling for us to drink. But Well, I mean, we could have had that instead today. But Anyway, Steven's there. He's at least up and about and playing baseball with the nuns and <laughs> ready to get the hell out of there, which I think we all agree. We are done with the Immaculate Heart Hospital. Steven's we're ready to done move with on. It. We're done with it. Everybody's done with this place. Can we move on? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I love that the staff at the Immaculate Heart Hospital are all dirty liars. The doctor lies to Stephen. The nurse. Oh, the, the who's nurse. A nun. The nurse is also participating in the gaslighting of Stephen. I yes. Mean, there's there's so many people lying to so many each others in this this episode specifically. Yeah. And I love how Stephen says like, "Thanks, but I'm not going to convert." <laughs> It's like I wouldn't either. The church is full of liars, and that's all on display here oh, in this no. episode Keep of your Dynasty. politics and your religion out of this discussion. Okay, sorry, sorry. But, you know, Stephen has a point because they come up with all of these ruses to keep him in the hospital because Dan Cassidy's waiting for Blake to get there. And why is he just milling about the hospital? Stephen totally sees him and knows like something's up. So he gets out of there. But so I have a theory. I I think that get get ready for cockamamie theory number 246. I think that they've been gay conversion therapy his ass this whole time. I think that's what's been going on. And that's why Dan Cassidy's always lurking about. And that's why daddy shows up at the end to, you know, receive his converted son. And then he <laughs> says, I'm not going to convert to the to the nun or whatever. Yeah, I know. This is all very half-baked. I just, yeah, I just this is quite the conspiracy. But I don't know. There's enough There's enough breadcrumbs I think it, there. I think it's just, yes, it is. I think there's uh, some X-raying uh, in the story writing that's supposed to suggest. Maybe I shouldn't say supposed to. That's a strong word. But might suggest that there's something more going on than just getting a facelift or whatever's been happening with Dr. Hong. Well, we didn't get... Not Dr. Hong. James Hong is the actor. I don't know. Dr or whatever his name is. I think it's Chang or Chan. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. I kind of got a little bit of resolution into my questioning last week where it's like, how far did this plastic surgery go? Because obviously it's a different actor, but then the character got plastic surgery. And you see it in John Forsythe's eyes when you see Stephen for the first time, new Stephen. And he's like kind of looking at him and then they zoom in on Jack Coleman's baby blues and it's like ah, yes that's him so I guess his face does actually look different but then we get that crazy flashback to one of the best scenes in this show since I've been watching it the penultimate episode of the second season when Stephen has his like Tennessee Williams monologue in the library and announces that he's a homosexual to all of the gathered Carrington family members but in the flashback, obviously they filmed it with Jack Coleman and all of the actors are wearing the same clothes that they were wearing from the second season. It's blocked differently. Except that Joan's not wearing her necklace like she was in the yes, original. Yes, here at Dynasty as they want to be, we did a forensic <laughs> we analysis. We put this under a microscope, yes. <laughs> because we are dedicated to Dynasty and our fans. And yeah, we watched, we went back and we watched it and yep, Joan didn't These have that necklace on. rigorous scientific results. They did a they did a pretty admirable job, I think, of what they needed to do. But yeah, the vase was in a different. Oh no, place. I wouldn't say admirable. I'm I'm irritated with this because this is a really great example of how this show has been pivoting the last few episodes. Something happened between the first section of season three and now we're here here they're trying to retcon one of the greatest scenes at least of the early period of this show I, you know maybe it's 
the, one of the greatest scenes of the whole show, but that's all arguable. But definitely it, Al Corley's best work, hands Al, down. Al Corley's exit from Dynasty is is hot stuff, and he went out here, with the bang. Here, they're they're just going to have a cheap remake of it. It just doesn't have any of the gravity that the original scene. Which, of course, it wouldn't because it's it's sort of told through the you know the Vaseline lens of of the flashback. But oh yeah, they rubbed it on. Worse than that, it's not admirable because I feel like they're attempting to try to re-explain that moment in terms of Jack Coleman, who's you know he's not Al Corley. I'm just gonna say that I can accept him as Stephen going forward, but you have to. It's a little bit like how are you gonna steal Al Corley's moment? Like this was like the scene that he really made the big impact. Well, you know? I agree everything with what you're saying, but kind of as a counterpoint, I see why they did it because it was such a defining moment for the character, and then you put this new actor in that place. Then it lets the audience know, okay. This is Steven. He's the same Steven. And frankly, from like outside the perspective of the show, I like the fact that they not completely put in all this homosexual stuff under the rug, which I thought was going to happen. Like you mentioned conversion therapy. I really thought this character was just going to be straight now from the things that I'd kind of heard and known about Dynasty from the outside. So I like that maybe this character is still sort of bisexual, even though I know he's going to have relationships with women. But I, I guess we're supposed to just accept that there's even something there because they really can't decide what they want to do with him and most especially his sexuality well my god they've had how many episodes to figure it out like we need every, to know. every time they try to make a commitment then they they back pedal mm-hmm. and then it's like oh no he's not sorry we don't want to offend anybody too much the writers have been told we're gonna clean this guy up a bit you know so i feel like he still kind of has like this this zigzag sexuality even going forward i mean i'm not really gonna spoil stuff and i don't remember much to spoil it with anyway well we have drank almost a whole bottle of clico while recording this episode so that's partially to blame but the other thing i like about steven's return is that he's still staunchly opposed to going back to the carrington clan you want me to come home now Yes, yes, I do. And and Fallon and Crystal and your mother. We all want you to come home. Well, that's too bad for everybody then, isn't it? Because I don't want to be a Carrington again. I've broken with that family, Dad. I've gone through hell and come out the other side. There's nothing waiting for me back in Denver. Nothing. His feelings have not changed, even though he almost got blowed to smithereens and everybody he knew on the oil derrick is dead. He doesn't want to have anything to do with his fucking family. Not Fallon, not Alexis, not Daddy. He just wants to go off. But this time, Blake has a, a card. He has but it's interesting. little Annie. It, it presents a problem of, does he want to leave them behind so he can go off and be homosexual? Or does he want to leave them behind so he can go off and start a new life and be straight? Uh, either way, he's... He's tired of this family and the dynamics and the terrible people that they all are. So I don't know. It's it's all very sort of ambiguous. And maybe in some ways it's kind of why this is the last vestige of what the old original dynasty was doing the first couple of seasons. And this does kind of create some sophistication and 
some nuance that you're not getting from really much else going on in the show right now. One thing I will say is, so I think a lot of this goes back to a larger theme that I think is really carrying what's what at least is lasting about what's happening right now in this this season which is the idea of pretenders and you know we talk about like adam who was sort of the original pretender in a lot of ways or i don't know maybe even you could even argue that crystal was a pretender yeah that's what i was thinking alexis and crystal they're you know they kind of married into these situations yeah yeah and crystal was the one who had the lowly beginnings of a secretary you know she's in the secretarial pool marrying the boss you know so there's a little bit of that there but then there's like the the real idea of like adam as a pretender uh, and the family has to decide if they're going to accept him or not and alexis does arguably for somewhat political reasons but she seems to even as a woman and as a person accept him uh as her son but now we have this idea of of steven like now it's like meta pretender because obviously we've got a different actor playing the same character now they're retconning that final exit scene that he had a season ago is he gonna be as good as what we remember al corley was doing you know not that al corley was perfect but there was a certain something about him in this character that i really fell in line with and yeah, i don't know and he originated the jack role. holman's gonna do that maybe jack holman would do something different with it you know i i, I don't remember a ton but I don't know. There is this just sort of like this weird idea of people changing identities or coming in and pretending and being imposters. And I think that's what I'm most excited about is to see Stephen and Adam meeting. What's going to happen when this guy who didn't have any brothers meets this other brother? And yeah, they are both sort of pretending. And Adam's done a lot of research, it seems. He talks about Stephen all the time and his lifestyle and his persuasion. Uh Adam's too curious. And, you know, Adam and Alexis have had several dialogues now about uh, homosexuality Mm -hmm. and morals. And Alexis is like, no, no, you can't talk shit about him because he's been a very fine, upstanding young man. And so, you know, Adam's already got his we'll see if that holds true once steven is physically back in denver so and you know then there might be like a power struggle too although steven's never really gave a shit about the power of the carrington so but see that's where steven and jeff are different like steven is uh he's a holden caulfield type whereas jeff is just some little pretty young An thing in unnamed the character that, yeah in the you know he, <laughs> he has no effect on the story so yeah they're they're both sort of like outsiders in some sense but they're also very different in a way one affects change and one does not and one lives his life and one just kind of sails through it i guess now that he knows he has a baby he'll be headed back to denver Now it's time for the part of the episode where Kyler and I choose our looks of the week. Mine's going to be a bit shocking, so maybe you go first this time. I, I, you know, look, the clothes are kind of boring this episode, so terrible. I'm going to respectfully abstain. You're not going to pick anything. This is a first. This is a dynasty as they want to be first. You're not even going to pick one article of clothing. Well, I don't want to waste my old maid card on this. So, okay, sure. If you want to make me pick something. I mean, I'm just going to revisit Fallon's Black Lace Victorian number from the original <laughs> Al Corley storming out the library moment. You're going to pick an As outfit. repeated through Vaseline lens <laughs> with now Jack Coleman standing in now, for Now, did it look better with her wearing it through Vaseline lens? The other thing I, I just, 
I don't understand what the hell was going on. The costume department is trolling Linda Evans in the worst ways. I have to say, I know she always wears the same fucking silhouette every episode, but that stripedy number what that was hell like was that silver and black. Number? Oh, I liked it. Oh, that would no. Does she look at the hostess of TGI Fridays? Here's the thing. I didn't love it as a blouse. I would have really liked it as wallpaper. That would have just looked like a circus tent. Yeah, but like a fabulous kind of shimmer circus tent anyway that was not my look of the week are you ready are you sitting down do you have a little bit of champagne to sip on because i chose jeff's rescue outfit you know as my look of the week i almost went there because jeff was definitely doing a lot of like prep school he had just like a sweater on underneath it but i loved the jacket that he put on to go to the desert motel it was like corinthian tan leather and then he popped the collar up because he meant business. And then also he was wearing kind of different pants. Obviously, we see him in like wool suits all the time. It was like a moleskin pant, which I thought was kind of an interesting choice to go with the the leather members only jacket. But yeah, it was preppy savior realness. The, the problem is, is you look at this stuff and it's not terribly memorable. But, you know, like even at breakfast, he had on that really nice Argyle sweater. And I'm, I'm a hooker for Ar- Argyle. I, I, I don't own enough Argyle in my life now that I'm reconsidering what's in our closets. But I think it's it's interesting how Jeff, and it used to be Steven, but now it's just Jeff, always had like kind of the best male clothing on this show. And maybe that's just because everybody else is old and rich and just wears suits. You what, know? You so did, it's like, what are the men supposed to wear? <laughs> you didn't like point? Adam's but, Yale sweater with the short shorts she hated no <laughs> so wait your look of the week was actually from 96 weeks ago yeah and, and i still i love that joan wasn't wearing the gold necklace even though she wore everything else for the reenactment so it's like you know chanel said before you walk into the blake carrington library take one thing off you know yeah before you go into a flashback sequence take one thing off <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Dynasty as They Want to Be. Kyler, thank you so much for joining me. I think we might need caviar every episode now. I prefer potatoes and beluga. Kyler, we have a new iTunes review that I wanted to read. It's, of course, a five-star from Sally Campbell. I've been a Dynasty fan since I was a kid, and this podcast is a brilliant new take on things. I'm re-watching for at least the fifth time. Oh my God, Sally, five times? You're crazy, girl. And the guys are great fun, and I pretty much agree with most of what they say. Okay, it's fine. You can disagree. You can agree to disagree. Most of my opinions are pretty bad anyway, so that's <laughs> fine. Thank you, and keep the episodes coming. We will, Sally. We're forging through the third season. We've got Steven back. So next week, we'll take a look at the episode Fathers and Sons. Isn't that like literally the name of a Tennessee Williams play? I mean, if it's not, it might as well be. Yeah, maybe something on the cutting room floor. Anyway. Sebastian and Violet. Violet and Sebastian. (laughs) In the meantime, you can follow along with us as the story continues on our social media channels. We're at Nasty Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. Go there, like us, subscribe. Give us a review on iTunes. Do all the things you have to do. You know, this is the second time you've let me down, and twice is enough. What a fraud.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.